0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 459th show is Don Elder, retired U.S. Army colonel, and we're going to be talking about perspectives on the war in Ukraine. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. Brett, you start us off.
1: Gladly. Don, one of the other things I've been um, surprised at seeing is uh, Russia uh, is known for having fairly extensive electronic warfare capabilities and hasn't been employing them um, almost at all. And some of the Research I've been seeing is um, suggesting that all of their um, high-end capable radios were sold off to make somebody a profit on the black market, so they're having to use civilian uh, gear. Can you tell us what some of the differences are between uh, the radio I could go buy from Best Buy or, or pick up online and a military radio
2: i i I confess to not being up to speed on on this on the russian situation uh, in terms of their comms gear but i think there's i think the to your question difference between civilian and and military is one of generate i think it's generational as much as anything else the uh, using the u.s example um the GPS system that we all, everybody on the planet is using today was first fielded in army vehicles. I I had one on my Humvee in 1985, early version GPS, um, and it read, as I recall, it it took input from six satellites to for geopositional stuff, and we could fire artillery and everything accurately with it that was 1985 Uh, now everybody's got it and what the military has right now in terms of gps capability is far beyond anything that's on the civilian market anywhere that you can find same thing with radios cell phone towers Uh, i think we call it mts mobile telephone system was uh first fielded to the military and it was there were antennas mounted on Humvees that would cycle around the battlefield to pre-designated points serving as antennas, if you will, and relay stations, much like the microwave towers that you see on mountaintops all across the United States today. So that was also about the same era where we had, um, in effect, cell phone coverage, secured cell phone the coverage, not open to you know monitoring by everybody and, and all of that. It was coded, protected, and now it's obsolete. But we had that advantage for quite some time before it became publicly available in a lesser capable form. And you can imagine that we today have capabilities that are unimaginable to those of us who don't and worry about these sort of things and i gotta believe that the russians were in the same boat uh, now uh, another thing i think it might be a factor that i've heard about is that the russians are finding out that our capabilities nato capabilities for interrupting their comms all their systems whether by jamming or or shutting down in other ways as as contributed to their lack of success as well I don't know that to be true but i've I've heard that that uh, is part of it okay
1: Rick Don uh, uh, I want to go back to uh, uh, the principles of war particularly nuclear war I know you you got into uh, uh, methods and and uh, uh, you knew the Geneva Convention and you knew I mean, you were trained in what happens in a nuclear war, uh, and that's what's being threatened. Um, what is your take? Is, is this something that, uh, although we, we did talk in the broadcast section that it was this is probably a psychological warfare element that Putin is using. Uh, how likely do you see uh, even, uh, uh, even a tactical nuclear exchange uh, in this war?
2: Uh, wow. That's a, that's a tall, that's a, that's a tough question. I, my gut says he's not likely to do it. My gut says that he's, he's had a hard lesson in what his true capabilities are. Uh, I have no idea what sort of internal pressures he's, he's facing within, uh, his, his cabal of, of leaders and, you know, the, all of the forces within the Kremlin that are uh, all the intrigue there. I have no idea, but but uh, I don't believe that he's a, 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 a failing. I don't believe that he's got uh, just a little time to live. I believe that's disinformation. And why not uh, use that psychological warfare to stymie uh, uh, our efforts to oppose him I, yeah, it's just, it's just an awful thing. I remember that the, U, the U.S. Army, I worked for a general in, when I was in Panama, four star general, and he, I heard him give discussions with ambassadors about the need for forces across the spectrum. And long story short, he says we got to prepare for the, this, what were termed small wars, term we never liked, but small wars like insurgencies in Central America uh because that seemed to be a very prevalent uh, uh, thing that was going to be with us all across the globe for quite some time but we could not ignore the, uh, the nuclear high-end warfare because even though it was highly improbable whatever happened it was such such devastating danger to us that we had to pay attention to that that's that's a conundrum that it's always difficult to to confront i don't think he's he would resort to uh, nuclear warfare as long as people believe that he doesn't care what uh, the rest of the world thinks then he's that threat is going to be powerful uh, in most quarters
0: don i'm i'm interested in your take just from a logistical sense um the United States does not want to commit boots on the ground for for fear of escalating. The NATO allies seem to feel roughly the same way. However, there is very much a humanitarian issue here in terms particularly of refugees fleeing into Eastern Europe. And that is a place where military logistics can and, and are being used to some extent to help um, deal with the, that massive influx of, of human beings. Give us a little sense, since that feels to me like that's got to be something that, that any army would, would plan for, is what do you do with displaced civilian populations? Give us some sense of how that works and the kinds of, of uh, organizations within the military that might be used to support that kind of humanitarian effort.
2: Oh wow! The we haven't had to do that for real in a long, long time on any scale. Uh, we had an awful lot of experience of that in World War II, um, when there was tremendous amount of in, in migration, especially toward the end of the war, when when once again everybody was fleeing the Eastern Front, they didn't want to be the under the umbrella of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc powers. And we're fleeing east. I remember that uh, Patton Patton's Third Army was capturing seventy-five thousand Nazi soldiers a day there towards the end of the war. We haven't done that in a long time. What do we have today? We've got tremendous amount of logistical support in terms of of hospital medical personnel, casualty evacuation, um, you know, recovery of of uh, everything from vehicles to to dead and wounded uh, uh, tremendous life-saving abilities and all that stuff on, on a pretty good scale. But we are not scaled very well for massive uh, uh, civilian migrations as prompted by this invasion in Ukraine. I, I, I don't think there's many armies in the world that do that. The, As an aside... You know, we are we are a war fighting armed force. We are not a civil defense armed force like many countries do. Uh, I'm very very familiar with Mexico. They have their national guard there, which is almost entirely civil defense, and they they're geared up and trained for flood relief, etc. Uh, etc. Et Earthquake relief. They train that a lot. I was stationed in Mexico from '96 to '98. Uh, and work with them on that, we don't use that as a as what we call a core competency, so i don 't know that we are prepared to really handle that on a massive scale. Yes, we can gear up, and we've we've done way too much in my estimation of diverting our forces from our war fighting capabilities and rendering ourselves less ready for war. the shooting war type of thing. But it's something that we're ordered to do. We do it, and we, I'm proud of the way we do it. But we're not, we're not really designed for that.
0: All right. Well, we'd like to thank our guest for this 459th show, Don Elder retired U.S. Army colonel, we've been talking about perspectives on the war in Ukraine. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on hd 2 88.5 FM, and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 PM. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALAHD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.